goodest of good days podcast pals and wherever and whenever you're listening to this may Arkham and I extend the sincere hope that you're keeping a dashed sight warmer than we are ah don't let the sound of unseasonable birdsong or a brook babbling without being impeded by solid chunks of ice fool you the happy place is though as beautiful in its splendid isolation as ever ball shrinkingly chilly this week all right While I'd be the first to concede that nobody listens to podcasts because of an unsleakable thirst for meteorological chit-chat, I have to note that we are British. And as such, as Britishers, we are obligated to comment upon snow as though it were a phenomenon never before encountered, save in ancient myths. That is why, students of language may be intrigued to know, there is only one English word for heatstroke, but approximately 54 synonyms for the phrase bored shitless. All that aside, however, a hearty welcome to Discontent Provider, the podcast that provides a roundup of, and expert commentary on, the most important football matches and goals of the past week. Yeah! See that, Gary Lineker? How do you like it when people muscle in on your racket, eh, what? I kid, of course. The idea that anyone, be they in the public eye or not, is only qualified to speak on one particular topic is patently absurd. And while an expert on a specific field is obviously going to be a little more informed on that exact subject than anything else, having a specialised area of interest in no way bars them from knowing about or understanding any other aspect of the human condition. Paul Martin, for example, the velour-draped antiques chap, is, I am told, a frightfully accomplished drummer, in addition to knowing a thing or two about Regency China or what have you. In fact, yeah... Given the some of the ridiculously way-off valuations he's placed upon some items on Flogit, one might be forgiven for wondering if he shouldn't make drumming his main thing. Ah, but again, that's utter nonsense. No. I'm sure that a baker, to pick a trade completely at random, is every bit as capable of advising a chum about their relationship troubles as anyone else, and shouldn't be barred from weighing in on the topic just because their partners, their friends partner's suspected infidelity doesn't connect in any immediate way with the most effective technique for applying ganache to a tower of profiteroles. Of course, it's not necessarily Mr Lineker's competence to comment upon uh, immigration issues and policy that has got everybody steamed up. Rather, it's the notion of impartiality, particularly as it relates to the BBC's position as the nation's leading broadcaster. Now, Were the one-time Grampus 8 signing, yes, and with that I've pretty much used up my entire stock of football trivia, by the way, if he were a proper journalist, I would agree that his remarks, in which he likened the government's uh, policies to Nazi nastiness during the 1930s, that would have crossed a line. But of course, he isn't a journalist, is he? He's a bloke who talks about football, as are millions of chaps in boozers up and down the country who don't get upbraided for suddenly segueing into politics after a couple of shandies. Now, admittedly, some of those cats' social circle might drift off a bit if they were to begin speaking about interest rates instead of the prospects for the Yellows in next Saturday's semi-final. Yeah, I told you I didn't know from football, did I not? But they wouldn't actually be castigated for not staying in their strictly defined conversational lane. Similarly, had he made his remarks on Match of the Day you can see why people might have gotten shirty. But again, that isn't the case. He made his observations as a private, albeit well-known and influential public figure uh, person uh, tapping his portable telephone during his off hours, as so many of us do. 
Of course, here we might have to ask ourselves about how influential a public figure is anyway. Celebrities of all ideological persuasions crap their brain waste into the cybersphere all the time. Again, as so many of us do. But does it really matter? Yes, there are many a high-profile kerfuffle showing, uh, following a conversational treat from a personality, but does anyone really give a tin shit? Lineker, it will be recalled, was fairly outspoken in his anti-Brexit views, just as J.K. Rowling has expressed herself on trans issues, and in both cases, both the press and those with strong views on these subjects immediately turned the whole thing into a vast and interminable shitstorm. Here's the rub, however. Did these well-known figures' opinions make any difference to anyone? It's hard to say, isn't it? I mean, I very much doubt that anyone would actually cough to being influenced in their thinking by either a juggy, uh, crisp pitchman or a prolifically imaginative lady who thought that being a specky kid at a weird boarding school would be a series of magical adventures. In my experience, it absolutely wasn't, incidentally. But even so... I shouldn't think it all that likely that anyone was hanging upon any political fence waiting to see what Lineker, Rowling, etc. thought before they decided which way they'd jump themselves. Certainly they might cite their words, either by direct retweet or inaccurate paraphrase, uh, in which I've heard described as an appeal to authority, but only in order to back up an opinion that they already held. Perhaps they should have made some sort of disclaimer before spouting off, or after, as I do at the end of these seances, disassociating their remarks from any institution with which they are linked. Maybe there ought to be a virtual button on social media platforms for that, so the comment or tweet can be prefaced with some automated boilerplate to the effect that the views expressed herein are wholly private and in no way reflect those of either the British Broadcasting Corporation or Hogwarts School. That ought to do it, I reckon. Of course, people in some positions are contractually bound not to evince political uh, sensitive views online. People who work for local government, I understand, have to be very careful about what they say on the Facebook. And while there may not be a formal agreement about such things, I've personally observed people reporting unacceptable attitudes to their holders' employers. But again, it's questionable whether or not that's wholly... Um, Holy cool and groovy. Uh, while I'd certainly balk at doing business with a company or a group that uh, were down with employing an out-and-out -out fascist, there is, so far as I'm aware, nothing in law to prevent them from doing so if their fascism doesn't impact upon how they conduct themselves during business hours. Of course, if it does, there are both legal and corporate measures that can be taken against them for actively discriminating uh, against co-workers. Imperfect though these mechanisms all too often are. And thus their position to harm others through their ideological leanings can be mitigated. Well, at least in theory. It's a rumour, ain't it? Imagine the furore had Lineker's remark taken the opposite turn. Well, frankly, it would be just as widely publicised, would have provoked identically strong feelings on both sides of the argument, and provoked pretty much the same number of dim-witted and uninspired memes. The only difference would be that the names of those calling for his head and those lauding him as a good-hearted humanist would have been swapped over. For all the arguments made about how influential influencers actually are, people are, I should hope, capable of making up their own minds and deciding whether or not to engage with a particular company or group. 
Thus, I suspect that it will be sales or viewing figures or votes that will ultimately decide uh, the fate of any public figure that makes a controversial statement, as opposed to any principles or pie-minded, moral-driven judgment as to whether or not being a deplorable piece of shit is a sackable offence. That's the free market way, cats and kittens. And, just like the free market, it's often painfully ineffective at working for the greater good, a fact that even its most ardent supporters privately acknowledge, even if they don't say so out loud. Mm. I hadn't intended to get so carried away on that uh, theme, to be honest. Uh, Mr Lineker's stepping away from keeping his remarks strictly confined to which pituitary cases had most effectively slammed the ball twixt the old uprights uh, just seemed like a, a, a nice thing upon which to hang an intro, really. It's surprisingly difficult to come up with a glib set of opening remarks for a podcast I'm learning, and as I'm far too vain to churn out something formulaic by rote each week, yeah, at least at the beginning, I'll take what I can get. As it happens, however, the criticisms levelled against old Gary lead me beautifully to what I really did want to bend your ear about. You see, while it's perfectly understandable that a British Home Secretary might very well object to her policies being compared and unfavourably at that, with those of the Third Reich, uh, for Suella Braverman to uh, describe Lineker's comparison as lazy and unhelpful seems a bit rich. Leaving aside that uh, an actual Holocaust survivor has publicly taken her to task over her use of language as it uh, pertains to refugees, for a politician to describe any discourse as lazy these days simply isn't on. Certainly not if this week's PMQs are anything to go by. Naturally, Miss Braverman, or Braverman's, uh, planned legislation regarded illegal small boat crossings was bound to crop up. It had, after all, been much heralded at the start of the week, essentially being a zero-tolerance policy that would see pretty much anyone not arriving through the official channels bounced immediately to a third country and banned from ever setting foot upon UK shores again. The government spokespeople seemed actually actually to take pride in claims that said policies would, quote, push the boundaries of international law. Now, that sort of phrase is, of course, meat and drink of the richest kind to those who feel that foreigners shouldn't be able to tell the free-born men of Albion, and to a far lesser extent the women, uh, what's what. But to others, it was rhetoric that rather puts Britain in the same ethical position as that of an annoying kid in the backseat of a car annoying a sibling on a road trip, but justifying their face-pulling, gesture-making and general dickery by saying, well, I'm staying on my side of the car, so what's the problem? As I say then, it was a safe bet that the subject would be broached, as indeed it was. Now... While one doesn't expect much from Parliament these days, and the spectacle of watching Rishi Sunak, an Asian Adrian Mole who always looks like he's wearing his dad's suit, taking on Kira Starmer, a Tony Blair doll left too close to a hot radiator whose nasal strangulated delivery brings to mind an experiment in autoerotic asphyxiation that isn't going well, it really inspires. Uh, This was thin gruel indeed. Starmer dismissed the legislation as being all talk and no action. Sunak responded that Labour is the party of open-door immigration and unlimited asylum, and at the same time accused the opposition of having no policies on the issue. Now, there might be an element of truth to this. The Labour Party website couldn't show me one when I looked into it, 
So perhaps it's sort of a work in progress. But certainly there does seem to have been a change in attitude in the upper reaches of the PLP. Sir Keir's remarks to the CBI last year about uh, ending businesses' migrant dependency led Nigel Farage, that keen observer, to observe that uh, uh, Labour were now to the right of the Tories as far as immigration is concerned. So watch this space. Uh, Starmer maintained that the government's policies didn't work and Mr Sunak described him as a lefty lawyer of the kind at whose door all the ills of the age could be laid. In short then, what we had was two political party leaders exchanging cliched talking points that would make the comments section of a tabloid's Facebook page look jejeune and half-arsed. That being so, is the Home Secretary in any position to call Gary Lineker's words lazy? Now, I'd be the first to admit that comparing somebody to a Nazi is both the easiest thing in the world and the worst way possible to engender constructive debate. Is it any wonder that that's the way public discourse is going when the highest in the land have descended to the sub-soundbite level? God preserve us. Slogans, catchphrases and overworked gibberish might help the ad industry to shift gallons of hydroxyceramide-based gunk but they're doing the thin end of fuck all sharpened to a fine point to make either a political system or a society work. What next? The Honourable Member for Piddleforth up the shitter asking the PM if he's seen Sid, and if so, did he tell him? For fuck's sake. And, hmm, yeah, having rather boldly shown my age, 52 today, cats and kittens, no big deal, I think that's about it. I trust you'll remember that all views expressed herein are mine and mine alone, and that all facts and quotes are checked with reputable sources to the very best of my ability. Thanks for dropping by, and uh, hey, if you'd like to take our relationship to the next level, get in touch with Arkham and myself via email at discontentprovider at gmx.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe to this nonsense in your podcast app of choice, and encourage others to do so as well, why not? Until next week, Arkham was the black and white dog, and I was the silver fox. Brace yourself for the song at the end. And, of course, cheerio. and well-phrased thoughts Forget debates exposing falsehoods and taught Now see the time of soundbites as a golden age Find the cheapest, simplest argument and make it your own Then stick to it like a starving dog with a bone And the dumbed-down dumbasses will call you a political saint once you've hit a winner, just keep churning it out In a reasoned, monotone or thunderous shout Don't think, don't discuss, stay on the attack Don't consider details, evidence or facts The rabble hate to cogitate even now and then Just say what you want to say, then say it again And again and again and again and again and again 
Once the House of Commons was a pretty class joint Now it's just a care home for clapped out talking points Don't fight it, lean into it, it's far easier that way Why work hard on your brilliant address When you still get paid the same for doing so much less And an oft-repeated piece of specious bullshit keeps you going all day don't pay any mind to what the other lot say You know they're pulling the same damn trick Sticking to the program is the only way Anything like compromise makes voters sick Power through denials or refutations Being single-minded builds a great reputation All you have to do is stick it out and feel your public's love rolling On the back benches, you're playing to the tabloid hacks and those with dementia. Above all, keep it clear you're a one trick pony after all. To accept or even hear another point of view is pretty much the worst thing that you can do. A centrist is a sellout, try it once and watch your ratings fall. It's like being in the playground, let the insults fly So's your mother, I know what you are, but pray tell, what am I? Defend your position without subtlety or tact Point out the other lot are all foreign or fat Be a demagogue, monologue, repetitive shit Like a character from Beckett without cleverness or wit You're just here to get a peerage and then fuck off to the House of Lords